Good morning. My name is Brian Anderson, one of the pastors here at Faith, and it's my privilege to read the scripture that uh, Sam will be teaching on this morning, which is John 6, 22 through 40. John 6, 22 through 40. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once a crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here at Faith this morning. Just want to make a couple quick notes. Uh, first, if you're if you're new with us this morning, or if you've been here a couple times, you're searching for uh, a kind of a church home, a place to, to come to. We'd love for you to fill out the connection card. And let us know you're here. It's just a great way to to get connected with us, so we can share some information about the church. You can ask us some questions. There's also a place for prayer requests that anybody can fill out. And then uh, after you fill out this card, you can drop it in the the boxes that are attached to the sound booth as you leave there, or you can leave it at the welcome desk, and we'll be sure to to get in touch with you later this week. So so again, this is just a great way to, to let us know you're here and let us know if you have questions or, or want to uh, find out anything about, about the church. After service this morning, uh, we will meet. Uh, there will be an opportunity to meet pastors and some leaders from the church over at Take Five. So, if you go into the Commons here, um, as you leave the as you leave the worship center and turn to the left, there's some tables with some Take Five 
yeah, that logo uh, on the tables there. And uh, some pastors, some, some leaders from the church will be there. It's just a great chance to, to get that one-on-one time that is a little bit hard to get on Sunday mornings. We're a big church. There's a lot of people. Sometimes it's weird to like try to filter up after the service and, and come talk to me or come talk to, to one of our, our leaders. And so if you would like that chance to connect on that one-to-one level, we'd love to see you over at Take 5 after, after the service. We've got in the, in the lobby and a couple different stacks in a couple different places, we've got these invites uh, that we'd love for you to take if uh, you would like to invite someone to our Christmas Eve services. Those are Sunday, December 24th at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., 4 p.m., and 5.30 p.m., and yes, I'm reading them off here because I want to get them right. Um, but uh, we'd love for you to take these. And if you have somebody at work or if you have some, a neighbor who might be a great, great person to invite, if you've gotten to know the person who bags your groceries at the, uh, you know, at the grocery store and you want to be sure that they have somewhere to come and, and worship on, on Christmas Eve, we have the space. We'd love for people to come. We'd love for people to join us. And I think you'd be surprised at how many people really do enjoy coming to a Christmas Eve service and do, enjoy reconnecting with church at this time of year. But they just need the invite. They just need someone to say, come along with me. Join me at my church this, this Sunday. So if you've got somebody who might be great to invite, grab some of these cards, grab one, grab three, grab five, however many you need. Like I said, they're in stacks throughout the foyer. And uh, we'd love for you to hand them out this week and invite people to join us for, for our services. Um, and just one quick note for me. Uh, some of you know that I, uh, I w- received a sabbatical from this church uh, in the months of September, October, November of, the, of this year. And so for, for those three months, uh, I got a chance to, uh, to step away from work. I didn't check emails. I didn't receive phone calls. I didn't do any of that, that normal stuff. But I, I just got a t- chance to rest and a chance to just have a couple months where uh, I was, I was kind of going at my pace and, and taking a break and, and enjoying time with the Lord, enjoying time with my family. And I just wanted to take a take a chance to say thank you to all of you for that. Uh, Sabbaticals are made possible because of the generosity of this church, because of the leadership identifying that it's good for our staff to have that time away, Uh, but it's also made possible by the fact that you all give and and you all uh, make make it possible for the church to function in that way. you know, I got a lot of really great opportunities to spend time with my family. We spent some time in Colorado. Uh, I got some sweet time with my girls, Abby and Lydia, uh, during that time and, and, uh, and, and had really great conversations and just time with my wife, Allison. Um, but most of all, I also got some really great time with the Lord um, and really got to spend some time on prayer walks and just in the Word and reading through the Gospels and uh, just really reconnecting with Jesus in a, in a profound way during, that, during those three months. If you want to ask me any questions, want to hear any more stories about that, I'd love to talk about it. Come track me down. I'll, I'll share all about that time. But I just wanted to be sure that I extended a thank you to you all for for the gift that that time was for me and for my family as well. Um, And I'll make one more quick note. as we get closer into the Christmas season, we'll have more and more uh, kiddos in our in our in our sanctuary. I just want all your parents to know I love that they're here, and it doesn't bother me when they when they talk or scream or whatever. I realize you'll probably take them out at some point or another if they get too much, but don't be embarrassed. I've got a three year old. I've got a one year old. I know what what you're feeling. I love that they're in this room. So please don't be embarrassed. They're welcome to be here. Kids are awesome. I love them. All right, jumping into the passage uh, for this morning, John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. Over these past few weeks, we have been looking uh, at the statements, some of the statements Jesus made about why he came to earth in this series, why Jesus came. Why did, why did Jesus come to earth? What was his purpose? And, and what impact might a better understanding of what Jesus said was the reason he, he was here? What impact might our understanding of that have on our, on our life, our ministry, and our walk with him? And today we're going to unpack Jesus' statement from John chapter 6, right there at the end of the passage Brian read, verses 38 through 40, that Jesus came down from heaven, 
in order to do the will of the one who sent him. So Jesus came to earth in order to do the Father's will. And this is perhaps the most straightforward of the four statements that we're looking at through this Advent and Christmas Eve season. Because basically what it says is that Jesus, the Son of God, was sent by God to do the will of God. Right? Jesus, the Son of God, was sent by God to do the will of God. And, and that's pretty straightforward. There's nothing too terribly surprising there. It's a pretty logical procession. But it does naturally lead us to the question, so what is the will of God? What is it that is the Father's will? What does God want of Jesus while he's here? And I think the answer is right there at the very end of the passage that we read this morning in verse 40, where Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So God wants us to have eternal life, so he calls us to believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have been Christians for a while, or who know a little bit about Christianity already, maybe you don't follow Jesus, but you're familiar with, with the faith, this idea is, is probably pretty familiar, right? We, it's, it's one of the most fundamental truths of, of our faith. We must believe in Christ, and thanks to that belief, we receive the gift of eternal life. Thanks to, to belief being possible through Christ coming, we receive this gift of eternal life. But sometimes I wonder if our familiarity with this fundamental truth leads us to to treating it as something as common, to to not really having it move the meter of our hearts or our souls, but but hearing it and no longer being inspired by awe or wonder or the deep gratitude that a statement like that should, should, should inspire within us. See, if I were to say something like the address of our church is 1921 Barnes Road in Manhattan, Kansas, and you hear that and receive it with the same kind of emotional reaction, Receive it with the same kind of intellectual stimulation or, or spiritual, you know, spiritual interest. If you hear that, and it's like the same level as God wants you to have eternal life, so he sent his son, Jesus Christ. If those two are on the same level as you hear them, then, then we might have a problem. <laughs> because one of those is an incredible, profound, life-changing, eternity-shaping truth. And, and, if, and if that's the way you receive it, then perhaps you, like me, need to spend a little bit of time reconnecting with the awe and the wonder of the gospel story. So in today's passage, we're going to see that it's possible to to look at Jesus, but but not really find him. Or it's possible to even find Jesus, but not really get to know him. Because we can get so caught up in in what Jesus can do and and, and what he can do for us that we, we fail to remember to be stunned by the whole reason that Jesus came to this earth because it was the Father's will for him to do so. God wanted Jesus to come here and save us. God wants us to have eternal life. He wants us to believe in Jesus so that we might enjoy the freedom from sin and the everlasting life in the presence of our creator. And so to fully grasp this idea, to really dwell on this idea that God wants us to have eternal life, so he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. We need to zoom out and and look at the whole context of the passage that that Brian read for us earlier this morning. If you go all the way back to the beginning of John chapter 6, we're told that Jesus is spending time around the, the Sea of Galilee. And while he's there, he's attracting a big crowd because he's performing signs and wonders and, and, and he's healing the sick. He's doing amazing things, things nobody has ever seen before. And then the story goes on to tell that, that famous story about how Jesus blesses a, a basket full of bread and, and a handful of fish and he, he feeds 5,000 people simply by giving thanks to the Lord for what was received. Now, the crowd sees this, sees this happen, and they're understandably amazed. 
and they begin to call Jesus a prophet. And Jesus even begins to discern that this crowd, they, they want to make him a king. It actually says, if you look back in verses 14 and 15, it says by force they're considering about making Jesus a king. But that's not really Jesus' plan, so he kind of quietly slips, slip, slips away in the night and, uh, and, and, and moves on. The next day, the crowd wakes up and realizes that Jesus is no longer with them. He's somehow gotten away from them in the night. And so they jump in their boats, and they head for the city of Capernaum. It's on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So they sail over there, and sure enough, they find Jesus in Capernaum, and they say, uh, Rabbi, teacher, hey, when did you get here? What are you doing here? They're kind of like, what gives? Why did you leave? And Jesus tells them, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because of the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed a seal, his seal of approval. So Jesus kind of calls out the crowd here for seeking him, seeking him really only because of, of what he can do and what they can get from him. All right? they, they've seen Jesus do amazing things, and they like that if they hang out around Jesus, their diseases get healed and their bellies get filled. And, and really, if we're honest, we would probably be right there with him. We would like this too. We would want to be around Jesus for those same reasons. What he can do is incredible, and it's only natural to want more of such a good thing. But Jesus tells them that they're actually focused on the wrong good thing. See, they haven't caught, yet caught the vision of the best thing that's available to them. Because there is a food that does not spoil, and there is sustenance for their souls that will last forever. Someone has come, and this someone has come with the approval of the Father in order that these people, in fact, all people, might be able to be saved, might be able to have eternal life. So, but the crowd hears Jesus, and they hear him say, you know, don't work for the food that spoils, and they latch on to that word work. So they ask their next question, well, what must we do to do the work God requires? Right? They latch onto that word work and they're like, ah, something to do, something I need to accomplish. What does God want from us? The people are looking for what they need to do, what work they need to complete in order to get the things they want. Now, it's helpful to note that at this time in Jewish culture, and especially here in the city of Capernaum, they placed an extremely high value on, on strict obedience to God. They, they wanted desperately to follow the will of God as, as well as they could. All right? and, and today, we, we might look back on that and think, that's really, really legalistic. But if we're honest, what does God want from us so that we can get the things we want is probably a question we have asked in our own lives as well. I know at times that I've been guilty of slipping into this idea that if I could just do the right things, if I could just live my life just so and just the way that God wants me to, surely I will have earned something from him. Surely he'll have to give me some of the things that I hope for and long for. But Jesus wants us to understand that when it comes to God's expectations of us, that's not really how it works at all. Astonishingly, God expects from us something quite different when it comes to, to Jesus and who he is and what we should do in light of his life. In verse 29, Jesus answers the crowd's question of what, what do we need to do to do the works of God? He says the work of God is this, to believe. The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. God wants us to have eternal life. So he calls us to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. See, the will of God the Father is not for Jesus to come to earth and demand that we work really hard in order to earn eternal life. The work God requires of us is this. Believe in Jesus. 
trust in the work that he has done for our lives. The plan all along has not been for you to hope that in the end you will have accumulated enough good things that that God has to give you something good in the end. The plan is for you to believe in Christ, to receive a gift from God that he knows you, you, you desperately need and that he desperately desires to give you. God wants to give you this gift of eternal life. Now, in verse 30, the crowds respond to this demand that Jesus, to this command that Jesus has given with their own demand that they want a sign that validates that Jesus really is the one that God has sent, that validates that, that he really can make this claim that they need to believe in him. So they, they, their memories reach back to, in the story of Israel, and they reach back to the story of Exodus when Israel's coming out of Egypt, and, and they're, they're out there in, in, in the desert, and, they want, and manna from heaven comes to them. And they say that, Jesus, we want you to prove yourself in a similar way that we, that we saw God prove himself to our ancestors. They had just received bread and fish, miraculously, the day before, but somehow that's not enough. And so they basically tell Jesus, you know what? You, sh- you did something amazing, but we've seen that before. Could you do something else? Could you give us something, something more? Which to me is audacious. It's an audacious thing to demand after all that Jesus has already done. But Jesus, as is so consistent with his character, very patiently takes their request and tells them that, yes, he can give something greater. He can give something greater than anyone has ever thought of, ever conceived of before. In verse 32, Jesus says to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus says, yes, there's a greater bread. God can give you something true. And the crowd's like, all right, we're on board. In verse 34, they say, sir, always give us this bread. They are 100% bought in. They are waiting for for their daily fill to come, for Jesus to do the miracle again, where where the bread will appear from nowhere. And then Jesus says some of the most powerful and beautiful words, to me, in my opinion, in all of the Gospel of John. Because he looks at this crowd and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Earlier I said that I wanted to reconnect us with how wondrous it is that God's will, that the Father's will, that what Jesus is here to do is to give us eternal life, and that he's doing that through his son, Jesus Christ, this gospel message that needs to mean everything. And for me, right here in this bread of life statement, that's where how much the gospel message truly means reignites in my heart and my soul. See, because this this bread of life metaphor, as I said earlier, it's pulled out of the Exodus story. It's pulled out of Israel's own history. And at that time, they're in the desert. They've just left Egypt. They they don't have the means that that they need to to go find food to get the things they need. And so they're looking at this desert, and they're hungry, and they're tired, and they're thirsty. They are desperate. They are in a wasteland with no hope of finding what they need to survive. And in this moment of their weakness and their fear, God sends them plenty. Bread miraculously arrives from heaven each and every day. All that they need, all their fill, it arrives. And all they have to do is go out of their tents, go out and collect this bread, collect the gift of God's provision for them. See, what Jesus is saying is that he comes to address our weariness, our desperation, our thirst, and our hunger in an even greater way, to an even greater degree, and to meet a greater need than than the Israelites had in the desert. Jesus comes to save us in the wasteland of our sin and death. And all we have to do is go gather this gift, 
through our belief that God really does want this for us, through our belief that Jesus really is all who he says he is. He's the bread of life. He's the gift of eternal life. This is what God literally moved from heaven to earth to accomplish. The will of God the Father is for us to receive eternal life through this bread of life, through Christ himself, through our belief, through our following of his one and only Son. However, this gift, this incredible gift through belief comes with a warning. Jesus again tells the crowd that although they've seen his signs, they've seen his miracles, they've seen his power, there's still a problem. Because in verse 36, he says, but as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. You see, we're not passive recipients of this gift that is given to us. No matter what we think, no matter how we live, no matter the choices we make, all all those things matter. So we, we can't just think, I can live the way I want to, I can make the choices I want to, it doesn't matter, there's this gift before me, I'll take it. No, belief, accepting the gift of belief means so much more. We are called to believe, and in that call to believe, there are a few things that we have to come to terms with, right? Jesus calls us to believe and to understand that we have to confess we are sinful, In this call to belief, we have to admit that we need the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And to believe in Jesus is to hear what he teaches about love. It's to hear what he teaches about sacrifice and obedience and neighbors and everything around us and noticing people and moving toward them in their times of need and hurt to realize all this through faith and then finally say, yes, I want that bread. I confess my need for Jesus. I believe in Jesus, and I want that belief to impact everything about the way I live my life. I want this belief to change who I am and change the things I do, to change the things I pursue and go after. Belief is not a a passive state. It is an active participation with the way God wants us to live. So if you can confess this, if you can commit to following Jesus in this way, if you can reach out and say, yes, I believe, Lord, teach me what to do, then then the next step is to rejoice. Because right along that warning of verse 36 is this incredible promise in verse 37. The Father gives all who believe to Christ, and Christ never, ever turns away a single one who comes to him. Verse 37 says, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none, none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. If you come to the Son, if you believe in Jesus, you will be given the gift of eternal life. This is the will of God the Father. This is why Jesus came from heaven to earth and why we celebrate his birth on Christmas Day. God wants us to have eternal life, so he gave us this gift that he calls us to believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. And so we're left with with this This question, what do we do with this? What do we do with this belief? How does it impact and change our lives? How do we take this and and do something meaningful with it this Christmas? I'm going to suggest two things to you that that I want you to, to maybe think about, to pray about, to have conversations with people about, and most of all, to take these things and not just kind of intellectually roll them around in your head, 
but challenge yourself to think all the way through to what action you might take, what changes might occur in your life as you process these things that that I suggest today and, and really engage with them on a deep, meaningful level. The first is this, to examine your understanding of who God is and what he is like. Really examine your understanding of who God is and what he is like. When you think about God, do you think about a loving father whose deepest desire is for you to have eternal life with him? Do you you think of God as a loving father whose deepest burning desire for you is to have eternal life with him? The world we live in is a cold, hard, frightening place. And I think sometimes we project the realities of the world that we see, of what we see around us, we project those onto God. We say, if this is our reality, if this is what I see, if, if, this is, if this is how the world is, then that must be how God is. And so we start turning God into this, this angry, wrathful, full of punishment, totally focused on, on punishment all the time. And the world is so hard, so God must be so hard. But that's, that's a, you can't interpret God through the realities of, of, of the world that is full of sin. Because in John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40, Jesus very clearly and specifically tells us who God is and what his will is like and what his greatest desire is. And that greatest desire is for you to be loved and you to be forgiven and for you to accept a gift of eternal life from him. Do you believe that what God wants for you is salvation? What God wants for you is freedom. Do you believe that God wants you to share in the saving faith, this plan that he made through Christ? If, 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 G, if God as a, a loving father isn't the way that you, you understand God, isn't the way you perceive God, then, then my concern would be that you may not have actually yet met the God of the Bible. See, because what we see, this promise we see in John chapter 6, that, and this desire for God for you to have eternal life, it's the same God that we see in every book of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end. He really and truly is the God who so loves the world that he sends his only son so that whoever might believe in him would have eternal life. We need to get to know God for who he says he is. You got to get to know God for who he says he is, not who the world says he is, not who the media says he is, not through whoever the most current and and fascinating and fashionable blog post or video or whatever says he is. You've got to get to know God on his terms through his son, and through your experience of really, truly going into his presence and being on your knees before him. Examine who you think God is and what he is like. Do it through scripture. Do it through time with him. Find this loving father who is there for you. My second suggestion is this, to spend some time reflecting on how great your need for Jesus really is. Spend some time reflecting on how great your need for Jesus, your need for Jesus really is. God wants you to believe in Jesus because he knows it'll satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. God created you. He understands how you work. He understands what makes you tick. And he understands how to meet those greatest needs of of, of your soul. Your everlasting needs are met in Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian, do you seek Christ with this sense of great need every day? Do you, do you engage with your day in a way that says, I need Jesus to survive. I need Jesus because he is, he is who I depend on the most. If you do have, have this sense, if your faith does look like that, then, then first of all, I would say, praise God and keep going. Don't let go of that. That is a gift. 
That is a, a precious thing to be able to come to that place and say, yes, I engage every day with a sense of deep desperation and need and feel Jesus meet me in that, in that moment of longing. Hold on to that and consider it precious. If you're a follower of Christ and you hear that and you go, yeah, no, that's not really my experience with, with Jesus. I, wanna, I want you to hear me say, I am not reading this and I am not giving this as a condemnation. I'm not calling you out for, for having some faith, diagnosing you in such a way where you need to be worried or scared that maybe your faith isn't enough. Because one of the things that you must remember and that you must see in this passage is that what Jesus promises is he is the one keeping hold of you. He is the one holding on tightly to you in your faith. And so even in your struggle, even in your doubt, even in those times where you're not really seeing eye to eye to Jesus or you're having a hard time really making him, you know, you're, you're having a hard time connecting with that deep longing, Jesus still has a hold of you. And that is an incredible, important thing to hold on to as you think about this. But still, even, even in the midst of the struggle, my challenge for you would be to try to move toward this idea that Jesus really does need to be the foundation of your life and, and who you depend on and, and, and open yourself up to the idea that Jesus could meet the deepest longings of your soul. And to do that, you can start simply. Right? You can spend a few minutes in prayer each day and, and build on that. You can sing songs of praises, or even if, if, if something good happens, you can take the time to say thank you to Jesus, especially when something happens in your life that reminds him of you or reminds you of his story. Because sometimes in order to, to really hunger and thirst for something, we have to have a little taste first. And a lot of times it's, it's really easy to kind of go about our day and, and just kind of see Jesus, kind of know things about Jesus, but not slow down to really experience who he is and what he's doing in our life. And so take the time when something happens, when, when, you, when your interest gets piqued, when you go to Jesus and, and, and you meet him there, take the time to really see and savor and, and enjoy that moment of connection with him. The next time you see a beautiful sunrise or you receive some kindness or you seek God for forgiveness and you feel that forgiveness take, take action in your heart, be sure to intentionally and reverently Trace back that gratitude, trace back that, that, that gratefulness for all you're receiving, trace it back to God. Trace it back to its source and give thanks and see if that helps cultivate this, this awe and this wonder for all Christ has done for you. If you're listening to today and you don't yet believe in Jesus and you haven't come to faith in Christ, my challenge for you would be this, get to know the story of Jesus. In our Bibles, there are four books at the beginning of what we call the New Testament called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're, they're what we call the Gospels. And my, I would love for you to, to pick one and, and begin, try to read it. You can download it on your Bible app. That There's dozens of options for that. It can be, be in your hands today. Or if you're like me and you like hard copies, we actually have hard copy Bibles that you, you're welcome to take one. If you go into our library, which is the room out here and just to the left, uh, there's a table as you enter the, through the door in the library. And underneath that table, there is a row of Bibles that anyone can take. And so if you'd like to take one and start reading the Gospels today, by all means, please grab one of those. Read some of those stories in the Gospels and see about how Jesus teaches love. See about how D Jesus teaches about our need to be aware of our neighbors, about our need to, to pursue good things like love and peace and joy. See how Jesus demands sacrificial love and how he has patience for those who are in need, but very little patience for those who are, who are pursuing things that hurt others or cause injustice. If something about the stories of Jesus makes your heart stir something in your heart, then that's your signal to keep going, to keep pushing, to keep pressing into the story, to really truly see Jesus for who he is. 
And by all means, if you're doing this, if you want to read the Gospels, but you want someone to come along with you, please let us know. Right? Please let us know that you'd like someone to come, come sit with you and read with you and talk with you and, and unpack these Gospels with you. I promise you I've got people who would love to do that with you. We love to read the stories of Jesus and be inspired by who he is and all he has done for us. Because Jesus is the Son of God who was sent by God to carry out the will of God. And the will of God is this. He wants us to have eternal life. And so he calls us to believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gospel message today. We praise you for your promises of eternal life. We praise you that the work is not up to us, that we don't have to labor and labor and labor and only hope that maybe we've done enough, but that what we have to do is turn to the Son, turn to Jesus, see all that he has done, see that he is good, and believe in all that he has taught. Lord, I pray that, that these challenges to see you for who you are and to really examine our need for Christ be on our hearts this week as, as we lead up to Christmas. There's so much going on, Lord. There's so much to do. There's so much to prepare. There's, there's people to see and, and things to get done. And, I, and, and we realize that that's part of what living in this world means. But Lord, slow our hearts down and challenge us to see you for who you really are and to praise Jesus for how he really, truly meets the deepest needs of our soul. In Christ Jesus we pray, amen.